Hello everyone and welcome to Two Weirdos One Podcast where we talk about everything from true crime to conspiracies to aliens to hauntings and everything weird. My name is Ashley and I'm Megan and we're your two weirdos. Hey guys, welcome back to episode 27 of Two Weirdos, One Podcast. This week, we are going to hear a story from Ashley. Hello, hello. And normally, we tell you a bit about our week, what was going on, but to be quite honest, nothing was going on this week. No, we were pretty pretty lame. Um, Oh, except, sorry, I know we said we weren't going to say anything, but... um, (laughs) I did get rear-ended the other day, so that was super fun. Did you ever, like, do you have to get that guy's insurance and all that? Um, so, it's, like, this, like, massive truck, and I'm, like, in a Jeep Patriot, so it's not very big, and so we pulled over, and I was, like, already, like, not in the mood, and, (laughs) and, like, luckily there's actually zero damage to my car at all, and, like... Uh, which was really surprising because like it was a big pickup truck and so there's no damage at all and like I pressed on the bumper and everything everywhere to make sure and like wiggled it to make sure like it wasn't loose and so like we didn't do any of that because I don't know about their car but it was their fault anyways Um, and (laughs) what's really funny is that it was like a couple in their like 50s I'd say and they were, I guess they had actually known each other for like 10 years, but they were going on their first date. Oh, and he got maybe rear-ended some girl. So honestly, that just kind of made my night that like <laughs> they rear-ended me, but like that's really embarrassing. Well, okay. Now if they like end up staying together or whatever long term, then they have an exciting story about their first date. Oh yeah, they're gonna they're gonna remember it forever. And also, Frankie was with us with us, so I was like obviously more worried about him than anything. <laughs> right. But um, he was fine. I mean, it wasn't like a huge rear end or anything, but like it was just loud. And um, yeah. So when we all got out of the car, like I had Frankie with me, and he wouldn't stop barking at them. <laughs> He's like, me again, me again. I know. So he was like aggressively barking at him. I was like, well, I mean, you spooked him. The car. Yeah. yeah. He's like, I don't know what's going on. We normally don't get out of the car here. I know. He's like, I don't know you. So <laughs> that was fun. And then, oh, also, I got HelloFresh. Oh, so, yeah. How did, did you cook some meals this weekend? Yeah. So I ordered, um, I just ordered three the three meal plan, so it serves two, so it's three meals for two people or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, last night we cooked. Um, I had uh, pork, chili stuffed poblanos, and it was Ooh. actually really good. So I have two more meals. I wouldn't make myself. Because, right, and like it's you know, so nice because like everything's already like pre measured and everything. And you have all Not the instructions. The Not sponsored, <laughs> but please sponsor us, HelloFresh. <laughs> yes. If so I have you out there works for HelloFresh that listens to this podcast. <laughs> yeah, fun. I am a fan. And I have two more meals, which I'm excited about. I have like um a pork with like potatoes and green beans, and then like a I don't know, almond crusted chicken or something with Ooh, that one sounds right up my alley. Like some I forgot what was with it, some vegetables or something. But um it sounded really good. I'm also really excited for next week. I got um to be delivered on Fridays, so I'd have like meals for the weekend instead of like going out to eat more. We could like cook at home more. Oh so, yeah. Yeah, and I had like a coupon, so this week was like whatever the discount was plus free shipping. So it was like thirty dollars for three meals for two people. And then next week, like, the discount continues for, like, multiple weeks because it's, like, so many dollars off. So it's, like, um, next week it's, like, $40. But that's still, like, a pretty good deal. So Yeah, especially compared to eating out. Right. 
So I'm really excited Can to get the coupon code when we're done. Yeah, I actually think I have. I actually got one in my FabFitFun box. I didn't. Oh, man. I didn't get mine because they had my old address. Again? I, or, well, that was just this box. Oh, it's okay. Still, like, I still haven't gotten it yet. But I was looking at the tracking, and it got returned to sender. And I called FedEx. So I was like, hey, why did this get returned to sender? Like, I put in my forwarding address. And they were like, oh, yeah, we passed it off to USPS. And, like, they handled it from their distribution center. I'm like, well. That's why I submitted my change of address form with, so they should definitely have my forwarding address. So yeah. Now I'm probably going to have to wait like another two weeks to get it. Oh, so. man. Boo yeah, I thought it was a pretty good box this time. Um, Dang it, I'm so excited. I know. So it was a good box. Uh, you'll get a coupon code in it, otherwise I'll just give you mine because <laughs> I'm already using one. Um, but also not sponsored by FabFitFun, so... <laughs> we have been getting FabFitFun for like a really long time, both of us. Yeah, I love my boxes. I know it's like a present to yourself every every quarter. Yeah, I'm really glad I paid for it ahead of time. Right, because then there's no excuse not to get the next one because it's just coming. <laughs> right, it's like, well, sorry, sorry on its way, man. <clears throat> All right, well, um, I don't think I have anything else to report. Do you have anything to to talk about? No, that's that's about the extent of the um, excitement over here is my fat fits unbox. That's not, <laughs> not there yet. Yeah. <laughs> Sad. All right. Sad well, I do have quite the long episode for you guys today. Um, so sorry ahead of time if you guys get bored with long episodes, but uh, too bad, so sad because I'm the one talking. <laughs> <laughs> also sorry Megan you're gonna have to <laughs> sit and listen to it for a long time but <laughs> it's good. uh I felt like it was something that I couldn't leave out like a ton of details uh because I feel like all of it was kind of important yeah um I'm gonna be talking about Yosef Mengele does that name ring a bell for you Megan Mengele yes no Okay, I feel like it might once I start talking about it more, or him more, you might have, like, Maybe. an idea. Okay. I'm so bad with names. Like, don't ask I know. me who an actor is. I will not know. Well, <laughs> luckily, Yosef Mengele was not an actor. <laughs> okay, good. Um, Maybe I'll know. <laughs> he was also known as the Angel of Death. Um, I'm going to get in a little bit of background of him, because um, I feel like all parts of his life kind of like it just like all works together for I, I just like couldn't leave anything out so yeah. um Mengele was born in Gunzerg which is a town in Bavaria Germany on March 16th of 1911 and he was the oldest of three so he had two younger brothers um his father Carl was the founder of Carl Mengele and Sons Company which produced farming machinery um, so Mengele was successful in school and he went to study philosophy, uh, in 1930 in Munich, um, which is also where the headquarters of the Nazi party was located. So All right. you can kind of get it, get a feel for what we're going to talk about today. Um, yeah. so in 1931, he joined Der Stahlhelm, which was a paramilitary organization that was absorbed into Nazi um, Sturmab... <laughs> oh my god, I can't even say German words. German words are so long sometimes. <laughs> uh, it's Sturmabteilung. Uh, it's just some Nazi thing. Um, so Der Stahlhelm was absorbed into this in 1934. Um, okay. So that we don't get more into detail really about that, but yeah. just know that he studied where the Nazi party was like headquarters was. Yeah. Um, so in 1935, Mengele earned his PhD in anthropology from the University of Munich. And in January of 1937, he joined the Institute for Hereditary Biology and Racial Hygiene in Frankfurt. Um, here he worked for Dr. Otmar Fair von Furscher, 
who was a German geneticist who had an interest in researching twins. So that's also important. Mm. Okay. So as an assistant for von Verscher, Mengele's focus was on the genetic factors that result in a cleft lip and palate or a cleft chin. So his thesis on this earned him an MD from the University of Frankfurt in 1938. Um, Both of his degrees from University of Munich and University of Frankfurt did end up getting revoked from the universities in the 1960s, and we'll get to why. Um, In 1939, Mengele married Irene Schoenbein, who he had met working as a medical resident in Leipzig, and they had a son named Rolf, and Rolf was born in 1944. Um, so now we're going to but just bypass that. <laughs> so now we're going to take right. it back actually a few years uh, to when Mengele was still in college. In 1937, he joined the Nazi party and the uh, Schutzstaffel in 1938. And he received basic training in 1938 with the Light Infantry Mountain Troop. And he was called for service in the Nazi Armed Forces in June of 1940, uh, which was nine months after World War II started. So he joined nine months after the war started. He was called into service. So was he serving as a medical profession, like as a doctor or? Yes. So so he actually volunteered for medical service in the combat arm of the SS, and he served as a second lieutenant lieutenant in a medical battalion until November 1940. So, okay. Yeah. The medical side of things. Um, he was then assigned to the SS race and settlement main office where he evaluated candidates for Germanization. Um, Germanization is a spread of the German language, people and culture. And during Nazi era, Germanization Um, turned into a policy of ethnic cleansing and genocide for some non-German ethnic groups, which you all know as the Holocaust. Mm -hmm. Um, In 1942, he joined the 5th SS Panzer Division, Viking, as a battalion. So there's a lot of, like, (laughs) uh, German, Nazi, like, Military rankings, I don't know what they mean, but I am telling them with the story. Okay. Um, so he was a battalion medical officer, and after rescuing two German soldiers from a burning tank, he was given the Iron Cross First Class, the Wound Badge in Black, and the Medal for the Care of the German People. And mid-1942, he was declared unfit for active service, when he was seriously wounded. Um, so after his recovery, he was then transferred to the headquarters of the SS Race and Settlement Main Office, which was in Berlin. And here he got back in touch with von Verscher. Remember the the uh, guy who liked twins in his research. Okay, yeah. So at this point, von Verscher was the director of the Kaiser Wilhelm Institute of Anthropology, Human Heredity, Heredity and Eugenics. So Mendeley was promoted to the rank of SS captain in April of 1943. So <laughs> there's a lot of like dates and um, there's a lot of details and it all surrounds Holocaust, World War II. Um, obviously you can, we can go into details about so many things, but we're focusing on Mengele basically. So we're getting a little bit of everything. Yeah. So now uh, we are in 1942 and we're at Auschwitz two, which, so there's like Auschwitz one and Auschwitz two. Um, they're just kind of, I think they're just separated differently. I don't know. Um, so This was originally intended to house slave laborers, um, but then began to be used as combined 
labor camp and extermination camps, as we know what Auschwitz was. Um, So people were arriving in daily convoys, and by July 1942, SS doctors were conducting selections where incoming Jewish people were segregated by those who were able to work and those unfit for labor. And the people who were unfit for labor were then just killed right away in gas chambers. Mm -hmm. Um, In 1943, von Verscher encouraged Mengele to apply to be transferred to the concentration camp service. Um, His application was accepted and he was posted to Auschwitz, where he was positioned as chief physician in a subcamp located in the main Auschwitz complex. So he was at the SS Race and Settlement main office in Berlin, but because von Verscher encouraged Mengele to apply for a transfer, he was then transferred to Auschwitz. Okay. So... The SS doctors didn't provide any treatment to those imprisoned. Um, They actually only supervised imprisoned doctors, so those who were imprisoned um, and that were doctors, they Mm -hmm. just supervised them, and they were forced to, like, work in the camp as medical service. Um, So Mengele would make weekly visits to the hospital barracks, and anyone who was not recovered after two weeks, he would just send them to the gas chambers. So that wow. was his part of his duty, basically, as a SS doctor. Gotcha. Um, not being an actual doctor. <laughs> right, yeah, just making those mm-hmm. awful decisions. Right. Um, so after uh, or another one of Mengele's tasks were to carry out selections, Um, so he would actually choose to do this when he wasn't assigned to do this because he would search for subjects for his experiments. Um, he was particularly interested in twins and remember Mm -hmm. this was one of von Verscher's interests as well. Um, so typically for SS doctors, selections was more of a stressful task. Um, but Mengele enjoyed it, and it was often he was often seen smiling or whistling while doing so. Um, so selections was again selecting who was fit to do labor and who was to be sent to the gas chambers. Wow! Um, so he yeah. really enjoyed his like quote unquote playing God role that he had in all this. Right. Yes. Um, and. Mengele was actually one of the SS doctors who were responsible for supervising the administration of Zyklon B, which was a cyanide-based pesticide that was used in the mass killings in the Birkenau gas chambers. So he is just all around a terrible human being, and we'll get to more terrible things with him. So this is kind of like, this is not a fun episode. Sorry, guys. Yeah. Um, But it's an important part of history. And so, yeah. Um, Important to know. Right. Or you know about history, you know. Yeah. Patterns repeat themselves, prevent it in the future. Yeah, which it's so wild to think that, like, this year, everything that's happening this year, not comparing it to this at all, but, like, Mm-hmm. just like stuff that's going to be in history books someday like this stuff is in history yeah, books will learn from the stuff that's happening today is going to be in history books so that's just wild yeah um so back to this um in 1943 at the romani camp there was an outbreak of noma which is a gangrene bacterial disease of the mouth and face um so Mengele actually initiated a study to determine the cause and develop a treatment for the disease. And he enlisted Berthold Epstein, who was a prisoner, um, and he enlisted him as an assistant in this, in his studies, research of this. And um, Epstein was a Jewish pediatrician and professor at Prague University before he was imprisoned. Um, 
So the patients with Noma were isolated and several afflicted children were killed so that their preserved heads and organs could be sent to the SS Medical Academy in Graz and other facilities for study. Wow. So whoever had it, children, they are just killed so their body parts could be sent away for study. Wow. Um, a typhus outbreak began in the women's camp, so Mengele cleared one block of 600 Jewish women and sent them to their deaths in, a, in the gas chambers. The block was cleaned and disinfected, and those in the neighboring block were bathed, deloused, and given new clothing and moved into the just-clean disinfected block. So this process was repeated until all the blocks were disinfected. Um, so just continually moving people like they literally just cleared out a block to kill all these women so they could clean all the rest of the blocks to like wow. stop the outbreak. Um, so this process uh, was repeated until all the blocks were disinfected, as I mentioned. And procedures similar to this were used for the epidemics of scarlet fever and basically any other diseases that would um, infect prisoners. And so... They would continually be any any disease that was infected or that infected a prisoner, they would be killed in gas chambers. And actually for this procedure, Mengele was awarded the War Merit Cross and promoted in 1944 to first physician of the Birkenau subcamp. So killed mm -hmm. a bunch of people and he was awarded for it. So yeah. Now we're going to get on into some of the human experimentation that Mengele was also very widely known for. So Mengele used Auschwitz as an opportunity to continue with his studies in anthropology and research into hereditary or heredity. And for these, he used inmates of the concentration camp for human experimentation. So the procedures he performed were reckless and didn't show any consideration for the suffering of the victims. Um, as we know, he was particularly interested in identical twins or just twins in general. And he was also interested in people with heterochromia iridum, which is when like someone has two different colored eyes. And then also people with dwarfism and just people with any physical abnormalities. Okay. So a grant was provided from the German Research Foundation at the request of von Verscher, who was receiving regular reports and shipments of specimens from Mengele. And this grant was used to build a pathology lab that was attached to Crematorium 2 at Auschwitz to Birkenau. So just a lab attached to the crematorium. Yeah. Um, so Mengele's research in twins was intended to prove the supremacy of heredity over environment. So strengthening the Nazi premise of the genetic, su genetic superiority of the Aryan race. And it was reported that the twin studies may have also been motivated by an intention to increase the reproduction rate of the German race by improving the chances of racially desirable people having twins. So basically, okay. two people who are racially desirable and they wanted them to reproduce twins. So more of these... The two for one. Yeah, so more of basically the... Racially desirable people would be made, had. I don't know. How yeah, to right. You all understand. Yeah, you, um, you guys get math. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's sometimes it's hard to like explain terrible things sometimes. Yeah, because you you don't want to really understand how they were thinking. Right. At the same time, you kind of do. Yeah. And, yeah. So. Uh, twins were forced to be examined weekly and measurements of their physical attributes were done by Mengele or one of his assistants. 
Um, the experiments Mengele performed on the twins included unnecessary amputation of limbs, infecting one twin with the disease and transfusing the blood of one twin into the other. Um, of course, many died while undergoing these procedures. Um, two or those who did survive were sometimes killed and dissected once Mengele didn't have any other use for them. Wow. Yeah. Um, Mengele killed 14 twins in one night by injecting chloroform into their hearts. Also, if one twin would die from disease, he would kill the other to compare post-mortem reports. So basically, find the differences in their bodies. Yeah. Yeah, so he pretty much treated those people like lab rats. Oh yeah, like, they were just disposable no to him. No regard life at all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, so a woman named Vera Kriegel was in a small cage for ten days with her twin sister. Mengele injected her and her sister every day with a solution, and she said that the only thing that kept her alive for the two years that she was in Auschwitz were her hatred for Mengele and his need for his experiments. So she would fight him by being unruly, and he would tell her to do one thing, and she would do another. She said, quote, He threw me across the room once, but I didn't cry. I just looked at him with hatred, and he had to look down. Then he looked at me and said, We will see who will be the lucky one from all of this. And I said, Yes, Dr. Mengele, we shall see. So she was just like a wow. badass kid. Um, but yeah, she did survive. and. Um, I mean, that was like her actual account later on when yeah. she was, um, I think she was living in Israel, somewhere in that area. Mm-hmm. Um, so as mentioned, he also did experiments on people with two different colored eyes. He would attempt to change the eye color by injecting chemicals into the eyes of people while they were oh. still alive. Um, oh my gosh. He would kill people with heterochromic eyes so he could remove their eyes and send them to Berlin for study. And Vera Kriegel said that, he, which was also the woman that um, her and her twin sister were used for experimentation, um, mm-hmm. she said that he kept hundreds of human eyes pinned to his lab wall, quote, like a collection of butterflies. Oh, so just. Yeah. Um, People with dwarfism and physical abnormalities had their measurements taken, blood drawn. He would extract healthy teeth and treat people, quote unquote, treat people with unnecessary drugs and x-rays. And many of these victims were sent to the gas chambers after two weeks and their skeletons were sent to Berlin for analysis. Mm. Um. Mengele would also send pregnant women to the gas chambers after he would perform experiments on them. Um, someone named a woman named Vera Alexander, who worked as a warden in a block housing uh, of about a hundred gypsy twins, said how Mengele impregnated a girl with the sperm of another twin, and he pampered her during her like whole entire pregnancy. And was there for the birth. And when he saw that she birthed only one baby instead of twins, he like literally tore the baby out of the uterus and threw it into an oven and walked away. Oh my gosh. Um, a woman named Ruth Elias gave birth to a daughter at Auschwitz. And Mengele forced her breasts to be bandaged so she couldn't nurse. Um, she said that he had wanted to do research on how long a newborn can live without food. So she tried to feed her baby the best that she could without being able to nurse him mm-hmm. or sorry, nurse her. And she would try and feed her with half chewed bread wrapped in a piece of linen dipped in coffee. Um, I mean, that's, that's literally the best she could do. And yeah. The baby, of course, still lost weight, and the baby couldn't even cry anymore, only whimper, so the baby was only getting weaker and weaker. 
And a week after she gave birth, Mengele told her to get ready to move from the barracks. And she assumed that she would just be going to the gas chamber. And a Jewish doctor had told her that the child could not live and suggested that if the baby was dead, he might lose interest in her and not have her killed. Um, So the doctor told her, quote, you are young and you can live. Your child cannot live. So Ruth um, injected her baby with morphine so that the Ju- that like the Jewish doctor had given her. So when Mengele arrived the next morning, he didn't want Ruth. He only wanted the baby, but he couldn't find the baby in the pile of corpses outside the barracks. So wow. that is how that's literally how Ruth survived. Yeah, Unfortunately, wow. just such a yeah. uh, such a hard decision. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a decision that unfortunately she kill her baby or it be tortured by Mengele. Yeah, I mean, odds are he probably would have just killed her as well. So right, it is like he such an impossible hard. decision to make. Right. Um, a survivor named Alex Deckel witnessed Mengele performing vivisection, which. From what I understand is basically viewing a living internal system. Um, So cutting someone open, viewing them while they're still alive. Um, So he would Mm -hmm. like Alex witnessed Mengele performing this without anesthesia on people. Oh my gosh. And he would remove hearts and stomachs of the victims. Um, Another survivor named Yitzhak Gannon reported that Mengele removed his kidney without anesthesia and was forced he was forced back to work without painkillers like very quickly after the after he removed his kidney my god um Mengele also sewed two Romani twins together and he sewed them together back to back to create conjoined twins and mm. both That's of these not something you do no um, that brings back like nightmares from watching Human Centipede, which yeah. I very regretfully watched. <laughs> um, unfortunately, both these children died of gangrene after suffering for several days. So now we're gonna get a little bit into after Auschwitz. Um, I'm not gonna talk any more about things that he did because I feel like that was a lot yeah, um definitely gives you a picture of what this guy was like like just no regard for human life no just wanted to use these people to quote-unquote further his science and right basically treated them like disposable mm-hmm. so on January 17th of 1945 Mengele was transferred to Gross Rossen concentration camp in Lower Silesia. Um, He took with him two boxes of specimens and the records of his experiments at Auschwitz. Mengele then fled Gross Rossen on February 18th, uh, which was actually a week before the Soviets arrived there, and he traveled to Zetek in Czechoslovakia disguised as a Wehrmacht officer. Um, But in 1945, he was taken as a prisoner of war by the Americans. Uh, Mengele was registered under his own name, but ended up not being identified as being on the major war criminal list because of the disorganization of the Allies regarding the distribution of wanted lists. Oh, no. And he also didn't have the usual SS blood group tattoo. So it was a tattoo that um, people in the SS would get that indicated their blood type in case of needing a blood transfusion while unconscious. So he did not have that. Mm. Um, He ended up being released at the end of July and obtained fake papers with the name Fritz Ullman, which he later altered to be Fritz Holman. Um, so just completely got away, got a new name. That's crazy. Yeah. 
So after being on the run for several months, he even went back to the Soviet-occupied area to recover his Auschwitz records. And Mengele found work as a farm he- farmhand near Rosenheim. So he, then he ended up escaping Germany, Germany on April 17th, 1949, using a network of former SS members, and he obtained a password from the International Committee of the Red Cross under the name Helmut Greger. He then sailed to Argentina in July of 1949, and his wife, because remember he was married, uh, his yeah. wife refused to go with him, and they divorced in 1954. So, good on her. Well, yeah. Um, so, now Mengele is in Buenos Aires, Argentina, working as a carpenter and living in a boarding house in the suburb or of um, Vicente Lopez. And after a few weeks, he moved to the house of a Nazi sympathizer in the affluent neighborhood of Florida Est. So he's just living life in a rich neighborhood in Argentina. That's so crazy how he got away. Right. He was able to assume like so many identities and Mm -hmm. there were people out there that actually wanted to help him do that. I know. I can't, I can't even imagine. So he, was then a salesman for his family's farm equipment company, Carl Mengele and Sons, because remember his family did have a have a company. So somehow oh, yeah. he was able to work for them. And in 1951, he began making frequent trips to Paraguay as regional sales representative. So just living the life. Yeah, he just got to live his life like normal, or well, not like normal, but you know, like a normal person. Right. After um, everything. I know. I Yeah, it's just so crazy how he was able to get away after that. Um, files were released by the Argentine government in 1992 to show that he actually may have practiced medicine without a license while living in Buenos Aires, including performing abortions. So just being a, like mm-hmm. doing performing abortions and doing other doctor things without a license. Yeah. Um, so in 1959, he was actually able to get his birth certificate through the West German embassy and was issued. So he was able to get his actual real birth certificate through the West German embassy, which is insane. And definitely been on a wanted list at that point. Right. Right. Like, that should have raised a red flag, like, hey, this guy's bad. Mm-hmm. He just brought himself to us. Yeah. To get him. Well, remember West German Embassy and them giving him his birth certificate because they come back in a little bit. <laughs> mm, okay. So they issued um, him, they gave him his birth certificate and was issued an Argentine foreign residence permit under his real name. And with this, he was also able to get a West German passport, again, under his real name. So wow. Ruse is just bold now. He didn't care. Exactly. So He's he, like, I got, I got off. Like, I I'm, know. I'm good now. It's, I don't, yeah, it's insane. Um, especially since he was such, I mean, of course, there were so many terrible people during this time. Um, right. But his existence was quite noticeable and notable because of his experiments that he was running on humans so yeah um yeah he was a pretty no well-known person um so he actually went on a trip now with his real passport and real name he went on a trip to europe and met up with his son rolf and rolf had actually previously been under the assumption that Mengele was actually his uncle Fritz, um, which obviously is not true. I don't know why Mm -hmm. they told him that. And um, so he went on a trip with Rolf and his widowed sister, or yeah, sorry, widowed sister-in-law, Martha, for a ski holiday in Switzerland. And then he also spent a week in his hometown of Gunsberg. So just traveling Hanging out with family. Yeah. Um, 
So Mengele then returned to Argentina after this and began living there now under his real name because previously in Argentina he had been living under his fake name. So now he's under his real name. And about a month later, Martha and her son Carl Heinz moved to Argentina and they moved in with Mengele. And in 1958, Joseph and Martha married. So... He married his widowed sister-in-law. Nice. Wow. Um, in 1958, Mengele, along with some other doctors, were actually questioned about practicing medicine without a license when a teenage girl had died after getting an abortion. But somehow, he was released without a charge. Again? Which is, like, he was practicing without a license, so I don't know how he was released without a charge. But um, yeah. it happened. And he knew that the pub- publicity in this would lead to his Nazi background and war crimes being discovered. So he took an extended business trip to Paraguay and was granted citizenship there in 1959 under the name Jose Mengele. And All right. <laughs> his now wife, Martha, and her son Carl returned to Germany in 1960. Um, and actually, during the Nuremberg trials, which happened in the mid-1940s, uh, Mengele's name was mentioned many times, but the Allied forces believed that he was already dead. So they're like, huh, he's dead. Um, a good assumption. Right. To be making. Like, he's literally just, like, war criminal. traveling the world and working, living life. Getting married. Still breaking laws, still doing whatever the hell he wants. Right. Somehow practicing medicine and, yeah. So, uh, two Nazi hunters named Simon Weisenthal and Hermann Longbein collected information from witnesses about Mengele's wartime activities. And they found his divorce papers, because remember, he, him and his first wife divorced. And so they found his divorce papers with an address in Buenos Aires, and a warrant was issued on June 5th of 1959, and actually Argentina initially refused the extradition request because Mengele was no longer living at that address on the documents. So by the time the extradition was approved, then on June 30th, Mengele was already in Paraguay living on a farm near the Argentine border. Mm, yeah, they were a few steps behind mm-hmm. where he was. Right. And then in May of 1960, Iser Harrell, who was the director of Mossad, uh, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but Mossad is a Israel Israeli intelligence agency. Um, so uh, Iser led the successful capture of Adolf Eichmann, in Buenos Aires. Um, Eichmann was a major organizer of the Holocaust, so super war criminal. Um, They got him. Um, So Harrell was hoping that he could also track down Mengele so he could be brought to trial in Israel, but he wasn't able to track him down, unfortunately. So, So, like, they're trying, but... They're just, yeah, like, just missing him fine. somehow. So, West Germany, which, remember, they gave him his passport and his birth certificate and everything. Yeah. So, now West Germany is offering a reward for his capture. Well, like, not now, today, but in the story. Uh, yeah, at the time. Yeah, at the time, yes. Um, so, they're offering a reward for his capture, even though in 1956, as I mentioned, they gave him his legal documents and a passport. Mm. A little too late, buddies. Right. Um, like, you could, you literally could have had him. <laughs> um, so with continuing newspaper coverage of his wartime activities and photographs of him, like, being ran in the newspaper, he relocated again in 1960. And a former pilot, Hans Ulrich... Rudel got him in touch with a Nazi supporter, Wolfgang Gerhard, who helped him cross the border into Brazil. Brazil. I said that really weird. <laughs> There's so many, like, just names and, like, 
it's very hard. Okay. You start trying to say them all like with right. correct accent. Yeah. I know. Um, so Mengele stayed with him, um, stayed with Gerhard until Mengele helped um, a couple named Geza and Gitta Stammer with an investment to buy a farm in Nova Europa. So Gerhard connected Mengele with Geza and Gitta Stammer. Mm. And Mengele just had money to help him invest in buying a farm. So yeah, just working as a doctor for so long, he saved up or whatever. Yeah. So Mengele then managed the farm for them. And the three then bought a coffee and cattle farm in Sierra Negra in 1962. Gerhard told the Stammers that Mengele's name was Peter Hachbichler. It's quite the last name. (laughs) But (laughs) they discovered who he really was in 1963. But Gerhard persuaded the Stammers to not report Mengele by saying that they could be implicated for harboring a fugitive. Dang. Trickery. So now in 1969, Mengele and... So, like, that was in 63. We're now in 69. (laughs) Many years has... been hanging out on the farm for a while. Yeah. So Mengele and the Stammers made another purchase together because they're a weird throuple. I don't understand the relationship. But I just made that up. But um, partners. yeah, but like they're purchasing like now a farmhouse in Cairas. I said that probably completely wrong, but they purchased a farmhouse together. And in 1971, Gerhard returned to Germany to seek treatment for his ailing wife and son, and he gave his gave Mengele his identity card. So that's important. Gerhard, Wolfgang Gerhard, gave Mengele his ID. So Mengele's health was steadily deteriorating since 1972, and he had a stroke in 1976, and on February 7th of 1979, while he was visiting friends at a resort, Mengele had another stroke while swimming and drowned. What? I literally, when I was doing the research for this, and I saw that, and I was literally typing it, and I was like, I was laughing. So I was like, are you fucking kidding me? That's it? <laughs> that's that's literally just... He just gets a stroke and drowns. Yep. Wow. So. <laughs> that's so, like, I, that's such an anticlimactic ending. I know. I was like, <laughs> I literally laughed out loud. It's like, oh my gosh. I literally... LMAO'd. So he was buried under the name Wolfgang Gerhard since Mengele had been using his ID since 1971. Uh. Mm -hmm. So in February of 1985, a mock trial was held in Jerusalem where over 100 victims testified on Mengele's experiments. And soon after this, the West German, Israeli, and U.S. governments launched coordinated effort to determine Mengele's whereabouts. The investigation efforts led to his grave, which was under Wolfgang Gerhard's name, mm-hmm. and they exhumed his body on June 6, 1985, and forensic, invest- er, forensic examination determined that it was indeed Josef Mengele. And wow. that is the story of the heinous war criminal, Josef Mengele. My gosh. So. Such a crazy ending. I know. Like, living his life on the run and being able to evade, basically evade, yeah, he didn't really pay for any of his crimes. No. He evaded the police and law enforcement until mm-hmm. post-mortem. Yeah. He literally... He literally just lived his life and died normally of a stroke in a in a in a pool at a coastal resort. Or I don't know if it was in a pool or in the ocean, but it was a coastal resort. Man. He was at a resort with friends and he drowned. Which is insane. So let's see. 
How old was he when he died? Oh, he was 67 years old. Wow, so very relatively short life, but... Yeah, but he did a lot of terrible yeah. things. Um, so yeah, that was a very hard, hard story to research because it was a lot of like just reading through all the terrible things he did. And of course, reading about the Holocaust is always really hard because it's just, it's yeah. so insane. Yeah, so. a very hard part of history to go back in. Yeah. Yeah, the more you said his name, the more I, like, started to feel like I've I'd heard it before. Mm-hmm. But I don't really know, like, right history around World War II. But, yeah, maybe it came up in yeah. a class or something along the way. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of people have heard the name but didn't know, like, a lot of details about it. Like, I knew that right. he was the guy who did, like, human experimentations and especially with twins, but I didn't, like, I've never deep dove researched into it. Um, yeah, I didn't really know For funsies. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah. Um, yeah. Sorry to bring you guys down. <laughs> um, I mean, that's, that's just kind of what happens with a true crime podcast. Right. You get... They're not all happy stories. Right. We, we try and brighten it up with some, like, hauntings, <laughs> which is... Yeah. So f- crazy to say that, like, a haunting just, like, brings it up a little bit or alien abduction. Oh, your day. <laughs> right. Um, but, yeah, so next week, guys, we will be having our seven-month anniversary episode. Mm-hmm. So crazy. And also, we'll be having a special guest on the podcast. And so, as always, Megan and I both bring you a story. But this week, or this next week, uh, our special guest will also be bringing us a story because we told yeah. her to prepare a little little something-something for you guys. So that'll be fun. Yeah. So we'll each do kind of like a, a short story yeah. type thing and make that into a full episode. So I'm really excited. Yeah, it'll be fun. And maybe we can bring back the uh, podcast and margaritas. Ooh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yes. I haven't done that in a while. I know. It's been so long. I feel like we've just been like, we haven't had time to like, when we get together to record, I feel it's like we get together, we chit chat for a minute, you re-record and then like we have to go because we have to do something mm-hmm. or we're busy. Yeah. So. Yeah, it'll be nice to chill out. Yes. Hang out with Mark. So yeah, tune in next week for that episode. Um, if you want to hear more from us before then. Check out our Instagram, Two Weirdos One Podcast. And if you need to get in touch with us, we always have our email, Two Weirdos One Pod at gmail.com. Feel free to reach out to us on there as well. Yes. And yeah, so until next week for our seven month episode, definitely tune in for that. Um, yeah. We will talk to you guys next time. Yeah. Enjoy your week, guys. Yep. Bye. <laughs> Bye.